Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Cyber. If you're new to the show, The Business of Cyber brings really a business point of view to the security industry. In a world that can be hugely technical, you can expect to hear from CISOs about how they run their security programs, from CEOs and founders about how they run security companies and build innovative organizations from the ground up, and from investors about how they allocate capital, decide what investments to make and not make, and very generally, view their security landscape. Now for today's show, we have Brian Vallalunga, the CEO of Doppler, a startup secrets management platform. Um, Doppler is a still small organization, but they're off to a great start. Uh, they went through Y Combinator um, and so far have raised money from Sequoia and Google Ventures. So about 15 employees, so still small and, and scrappy. Um, but Brian digs into sort of his entrepreneurial background and the companies he's founded over the years, um, but also what's led to him really starting Doppler uh, and what it's been like getting it off the ground. So um, without further ado, handing it over to Brian Vallalunga, CEO of Doppler. Well, the party is off to a good start. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. Well, as a way to uh, kick us off, why don't you maybe speak a little bit about yourself and about Doppler? Sure. Um, so I'm one of the founders of Doppler and CEO, and uh, Doppler is a universal secrets manager. We help developers store API keys, database URLs, certificates, generally anything they need to boot up their application. Um, it's kind of like a GitHub for secrets. Cool. Okay. And what's your, your background? Yeah, so I've I've always been an engineer. Um, before Doppler, I was at Uber and I was working on the mobile safety engineering team, um, leading a lot of their projects there. Um, and before that, I was in college and I've just always been building stuff. So as uh, Doppler is my seventh startup, I did a lot of them while I was in high school, college, um, and at Uber. And this is the the one that kind of took off. Nice. Okay. Let's uh, let's hear about some of those those six other ones. Um, can yeah. you maybe share like some of your favorites or ones that were successful, ones that were unsuccessful from high school or college? Yeah, happy to. Um, so one, one of the earlier ones that really got me into it was a startup called Labrate. And the idea was, um, I, I was working at a job at the time while in uh, high school. I was actually working as a software engineer. Um, so I'd split my, split my days half at school. And then I got special permission from uh, the principal to take off the other half of the day. So like at 2 PM and go work at this company called park me. And while I was there, some of the times it would require, um, uh, peer collaboration where someone would look over your shoulder essentially and say, Hey, you probably need to, uh, fix this in your code here and there. And that always felt weird that there was like someone hovering over my shoulder, like breathing down my neck being like, Oh, you need to fix this. And I know it wasn't intentional on their part. It's just, that was the, the, the physical dynamic of the situation. And so I yeah. built out, um, one of the very first actually, uh, multi like person collaboration tool for coding kind of thing, but it was like Google docs for coders where, uh, I can have this, uh, this code file and invite you in and you could, uh, uh, write some code with me. Um, but you don't have to be hovering over my shoulder. And it was really tailored to students because a lot of students are, when you're learning, it's best to learn in pairs. Um, and so we kind of like struggled together. Um, and, and that was one of the, the big, uh, startups that kind of taught me a lot of lessons about how to build a product, what it looks like to get customers. Cause a lot of times when you're like, you're an early founder, at least this was me is you're thinking, can I build it? Not will people use it? 
Um, and usually the well, people use it as like one of the most important questions. It's usually an afterthought. Um, yeah. So I learned a lot there and I can, I can dive deeper if you want in any direction. I'm, I'm curious, like maybe what some of those lessons were that you learned in like your early experiences in terms of, I presume, right. Building something that not only is, you know, you can build, right. It is possible to construct, but also you can get people to use. So other than that, I mean, what were some of those lessons that you picked up along the way that you've used as you've gotten Doppler off the ground? Yeah. Um, I think one that I picked up in Labrate that has helped Doppler a lot is like, what is the, what's in, what's the incentive for someone to use this? Is this solving a major pain point? Is it a 10x better experience? What, what is going to make them, because everyone sees lots of cool things every single day, but that doesn't mean they'll use them. And so finding some like really strong pain that you can solve them for them is, is critically important to getting them to use it today. Yeah. And so with Labrate, it was, um, they, they had to work on projects together, but it's really awkward when you have three people looking over one person's computer. Um, they probably don't have the biggest font, so it's hard to see. It's kind of weird having someone like literally look at your computer. Um, it kind of feels like an invasion of privacy. And so it was really nice to just share a link and then we could all collaborate together on a table, but you don't have to be looking at my computer. Um, and that kind of transferred over to Doppler a little bit of like, hey, every developer that I'd met had been burned by managing uh, environment variables and secrets through an ENV file. And that was a really big pain point. It was a pain point for me. It was a pain point for all my friends um, and a lot of the developers I talked to. And, and it seems strong enough that like, hey, if we go build this, people will actually drop what they're doing and go use this tool and, and to make their lives uh, uh, better. Yeah. I know um, in just talking with other entrepreneurs, um, you know, you can learn just as much from failure as you can success. Um, so were, were there any maybe of those companies that didn't go as well as, as you would have hoped that you learned some really important lessons? Yeah, I'd say most of them, I learned some important lessons. I actually, I, I think that you learn most of the time through failure, not through success. Um, if anything, the more success you have, the more failures you have. Like, uh, it's kind of like the, the saying, like, uh, everything, like everything's hair on fire, right? Like if you're, if you're Uber and you're, you're scaling massively, Uber had this kind of thing where they would rebuild their, their infrastructure, um, for like 10 X the scale, because they knew every like month it was like three Xing or something. I don't know what the exact yeah. stats were, but it was like, you, you were always in, in like some failure state essentially. Um, yeah. and that's where you learn, uh, for a lot of them. So like elaborate the big learning lesson there was, um, who has control of uh, the product? So what I found is that students and, and teacher and teacher's assistants loved it, but the administration hated it. Hmm. Um, they absolutely hated it. They thought it was the biggest cheating tool ever created. Um, and they almost, uh, at one point, they almost threatened to expel people for using the tool, which really no pissed way. me off because I'm like, oh my God, do you, like, do you count Stack Overflow a cheating tool too? And they were like, yes. And it was just like, everything that could possibly help you as a cheating tool. Like you have to have all every single like line of code ever in memorizing your head if you wanted to write code in their mind, um, right. which obviously is not how code works, right? Like most of the time code doesn't work on the first try because we're, we're humans, we're not perfect. Um, yeah. And so that was a really big learning lesson. Um, another startup I built called Night Owl. And the idea was like, I was struggling with math homework at the time and Tutors were like always these things where you'd have to schedule like a week in advance and it'd be like at 5 a.m. in the morning if you could wake up, if you could remember to wake up that early. And I wanted something more urgent. And so the idea was like, take a picture of a math problem. We'll pair you with the tutor. And for that one problem, we'll help you solve it. And it's not going to be giving you the answer. It's actually going to go line by line and, and help you like go through this proof or something. 
And also it's priced in a way where you couldn't just cheat on do the entire assignment through these tutors. Yeah. It would just be not, not cost effective. And the learning lesson there was, um, so we had a lot of usage, like thousands of, of students were using it within like the first couple of weeks. But we, we quickly realized once we gave, uh, once we started asking them to pay that uh, students didn't have any money and parents uh, didn't, didn't want to give them any money for this kind of tool. And so it was like, okay, you have your user, but who's your buyer? And separating those two out, and that's actually applied a lot to Doppler. In a lot of cases, the buyer, uh, at least in an enterprise deal, will be like the DevOps or security team, but the end user is actually the developer. If you think about it, like there could be a five-person, seven-person DevOps team um, and a thousand-person engineering team, right? And the engineers are going to be the ones that are going to be using it in volume. Um, and so that was a really big lesson, which is who's, who's a user, who's a buyer, and what incentives do they have? Well, awesome segue into, into Doppler. And I'd love to dig into like the constructs of the pricing model and how you've worked with like small to mid-sized businesses as well as enterprises. But um, before we even get into that, why Doppler? Why universal secrets management? Why was this the seventh startup you, you went after? <laughs> um, I kind of like stumbled into it, to be honest. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go solve secrets management. Honestly, I didn't even realize it was like a, a secrets management tool to begin with. Like we kind of learned that a little bit later. Um, the backstory is that while at Uber, I was working on um, one of the most buzzwordy projects possible is a crypto machine learning marketplace. Um, Got all and of them. Yeah, yeah all, all of the buzzwords, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let's just say it was not easy to get this thing off the ground. No, like no matter, it was very much, no matter how much effort you put in, um, the market didn't care and the market did whatever it wanted to do. And yeah. we were about eight months in and it very much felt like pushing a boulder up a hill where every foot forward, you'd slip five feet back from exhaustion. And I, I just, I couldn't stand anymore. So I went to Cancun. I was like, I'm going to take a break from everything. Uber, life, just, I'm going to put it all on pause and take a reset. And yeah. you think like, oh, I'm going to reset. I'm just not going to think about it. Well, the first day there, I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was, if anything, it was like racing even more in my mind. And I just quickly realized that it wasn't going to work. And um, inspired by uh, Stuart Butterfield from, from Slack, who like, I would say he's like really, really famous for like, I consider it failing upwards. He may not call it that, but like he created a video game out of that came Flickr. I uh, was like, okay, I'm going to create another video game now. And out of that came Slack. Right. That is like the definition of my mind of failing upwards and it's a glorious thing to, to pull off. And I was like, okay, well, uh, just because this crypto machine learning workplace isn't working doesn't mean that there wasn't some problem that I faced while running it that actually could be a viable thing. Um, and I started looking at all the problems I had faced and managing environment variables was like really strong pain point for me. And it was a pain point in a lot of different ways. It wasn't just like one thing, but it was like 10 different things. And they would pop up at different times, depending on the use case. And so I go back to this founder dinner and I think it was like a straight the pain processor. They have a, a dinner called the Atlas dinner. So they, they had a pre COVID and it, 50, 60 people would show up to this like dinner uh, at zero, zero, which is a pizza place in SF. And I, I went and I asked them, Hey, are, are, um, are you guys struggling with this too? Um, or, or is it just me? Like basically am I a bad engineer or is the world broken? You tell me. Yeah. Um, and about 50, 60% of them, we're struggling. And that was a really strong sign. And one woman in particular comes running up to me and she, I thought she was going to trample me at one point. Um, <laughs> and she goes, I've had three outages this week. Have me a solution by Sunday. And it was Wednesday. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is going to take way, way too long. Like uh, for this, we cannot have it by Sunday. And she goes, I don't give a fuck. Have it by Sunday. And I was like, okay, people want this. I, yeah. I get that part now. 
Um, and, and, and in a lot of cases, at least we were very focused on the individual developer at the time. So, um, and even to, the, to this day, we still are very, very focused on that. And those are the buyer, right? The buyer and the user are the same. So it kind of matches up. If they want this bad, they'll, they'll pay for it. Um, or they'll at least use it in, in self-serve case. Um, and so I went and started looking at the rest of the industry and I was like, okay, are, is it just individual developers uh, that are struggling with this, like on hobby projects or is it small, medium-sized businesses or is it very large businesses? And, and everyone was struggling. And a lot of the, the larger companies were paying half a million to 5 million a year on a tool um, called HashiCorp Vault and still struggling. Yeah. And that's no fault to like HashiCorp. I mean, they built an amazing product for storing secrets, but not for managing it. They're actually two different use cases and there was nothing on the market that could be used for management. So you kind of have what you have um, yeah. until Doppler came along. And um, the and also the teams that they're designed for are very different. Uh, we noticed that the reason why everyone was struggling is that the tools were not built for developers; they were built for DevOps and security. And uh, because th those were the buyers, right? The, going back to the differentiation between users and buyers, all the tools were tailored towards the buyers, but at the end of the day, um, by by a huge magnitude more, the users would uh, would have to use it and then struggle with it. Um, and that's where we wanted to fix. I wanted to, or I should say me, uh, I was looking at this and like, hey, I'm a developer. I, I don't know anything about designing for DevOps and security and I can figure that out, but I know what I want as a developer. And I want this to be a productivity tool, not a, and, and it will, it would have to meet all the needs of security and DevOps, right? It would be a security tool, but first and foremost, at least in the very early versions of Doppler, it had to be a productivity tool. I had to be better uh, and more productive as a developer using it than not using it. Yeah. Um, and we built the first version in three weeks. Um, and the fourth week we got a couple customers and then we were kind of off to the races. We raised from Y or we went through YC. We did, uh, the seed round from Sequoia a couple days before demo day. I think it was like a week before demo day. Yeah. And then Google ventures did our last round. Nice. Wow. So was that, uh, that lady at the, the dinner party who almost trampled you, was she one of your first customers? Actually, no. Um, I was so in shock by the whole thing that I forgot to get her email address. And so I never met her again. Um, but um, the way I got the first set of customers is what I like to call Chipotle sales. I would take anyone who's a founder developer and I would bring them to Chipotle and I'd be like, hey, here's the deal. You can get anything you want on the menu, but in return, I get a rant at you for an hour. Um, yeah and ask you a lot of questions. And that's how we got our first set of customers was like, I think at doing that 10 or 15 times, we got three people to use it on the on the fourth week of Doppler existing. Cool, wow, Chipotle and Guac winning winning hearts yeah. and minds. That's <laughs> exactly, awesome. the hearts and minds of developers won, won by every bite at Chipotle. <laughs> cool, all right. So, well, I mean, it, it seems like things have been, been off to, um, you know, a great start, right? In terms of getting the company off the ground and, and getting, sort of the first users paying customers funding from obviously some, some big name and, and reputable investors. So what, what are you focusing on now? What's kind of your, your big priority from both the product and like the go-to-market perspectives? Yeah, I think Doppler hit an inflection point, uh, I'd say like three months ago, where just we went from having no, sell, no enterprise customers to like way more inbound than we're ready to handle. And I think like, actually, this is a lesson for, for any founder out there. Sometimes you can build a really good product, but without the right messaging, it doesn't work. And then the second you hit the right messaging, it's like you just struck a gold mine and like, it just, it just keeps flowing. And it's like, you now have to keep up to keep up with it. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So 
Um, for us, it's we, we cracked the messaging, at least we think we did, and we'll, early signs of it. We'll see three months later if we're still talking about it the same way. But um, right now, it's keeping up with enterprise sales. That's and as we're getting bigger and bigger customers, I mean, I'm looking at your house right now. And I can, I, I'm willing to bet money that one, uh, one of the companies we're working with, they have a product in your home right now. Um, so quite some large companies that we're working with, and they have some really interesting feature requests. And it's the whole thing of, do we build it? Do we not? How do we, uh, how do we prioritize things? Um, our, like we, our internal goals, like when the hearts and minds of developers and you can't do that if you're only focused on enterprise, right? So you have to strike this balance between servicing the developer and servicing the org. Um, and that's been really tricky. So thinking about how to yeah. scale up the company to support this um, from both a, a, a talent standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, from a, a task prioritization standpoint um, has been really like my main focus. And then also the other thing is now that for a long time, we only had self-serve. And so we, it was kind of like, you can't mess with the numbers on self-serve because that's how we're being evaluated, right? Um, but we've kind of come to this realization now that 95 plus percent of our revenue will come from enterprises. Uh, for example, I think it was like one deal or maybe two, I think it was two deals, did all of the revenue for all of self-serve for the entire time of the company. That's how big these deals yeah. are. Um, and so in, in that world, it doesn't really matter as much how many daily signups you get. What matters more or, or it, it creates room for something bigger. And so we, we've decided to take a strategic stance of like, hey, marketing team, do not focus anymore about daily signups. Those days are over. The only thing we want you to do is focus on building a category, um, kind of like Tesla built a category for electric vehicles or Salesforce built a category for CRM and that's paying dividends down the line. We wanted yeah. to build a category because I think all secrets managers, they kind of sound the same, but Doppler is incredibly different of a product. It's not even close to the same thing. And, and we're still being benchmarked on that because the names are the same. And so can we launch a name um, that actually represents what we do today? And so we have just recently in the last like three weeks, repositioned our entire marketing team, kind of pivoted on a dime um, to go and build a category for us over the next like eight to 10 months um, that really stays around for, for a couple of generations. Cool. And what is, um, in, I mean, for context, like when I think about a self-serve, right, and, and studying Doppler leading up to our call and just like getting to know you, right, you can go on and if you're a solo developer, you can go and start using the product for free, right? Or you Absolutely. can slap a credit card down and start using it for a relatively low monthly charge. We actually have a free plan too. So you don't even have to put your credit card in. A lot of users don't. You've, Interesting. Yeah. Even, even better. And, and like, we're, we're, what I'm wondering is like, that's obviously super different than an enterprise deal where there's a lot of stakeholders involved, you know, large budgets, multiple influencers and folks who would be involved with the decision. Right. So I'm curious, like how you've, you've managed that with a relatively small team. Have you started to build up a sales team? Are you doing everything yourself or are you the, the VP of sales? Like how have you just managed all that? Um, we tried to do it where it was just founder-led sales. So basically me yeah. and a couple engineers. And um, you learn something very quickly, which is like a lot of this is just knowledge. And if you don't have the knowledge, you're just going to make some really simple mistakes. Um, and we made a lot of simple mistakes and burnt through a lot of deals that we could have actually won if we just knew what we were doing. Um, one deal, for example, was like a company with like 30 developers. And I quoted them $180,000 when I really should not have. I should have quoted maybe... 30K or 60K. Yeah. 
Um, and so just simple things like that. And then the big inflection point was um, we brought on Adam, which is our first sales guy. And he is just an absolute pro. And he kind of just, he, he A, started building out all the different pipelines. So we have inbound from self-serve. We have warm intros through investors and we have cold outreach through email automation. Um, and so he started building all that out. He created a playbook for us to operate as a sales, uh, as for our sales teams, which I guess is just me and him right now. Um, and I basically do the demos and I let him handle most of everything else. And then we loop in engineers when needed for technical support. And, uh, some of the simple things we've done that have worked really well is in the first call, get them to align on doing a POC, a proof of concept. Uh, yeah. So that's like usually a 30 day window where you give them all the features for free. They basically get hooked into it and they start loving it. And then they can justify to themselves why they pay a price. Sure. A higher price. And we set up a shared Slack channel. So if they ever run into help, uh, they run, ever run into a place where they need help instead of before where they were just like maybe follow up over email and we'd go three, six weeks and they, they were stuck and they just didn't do anything. Now they just ping us on Slack and we resolve it within a couple hours. Yeah. And so cool. he kind of came in and was pretty fundamental in how led led to a lot of our success that we're seeing now. Awesome. And you, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, sort of with enterprise deals, more often than not security or, or, or DevOps is sort of the team who maybe you're working with or is funding the, the initiative. Um, who have been sort of the, the people that are sponsoring the project? Is it like the head of DevOps? Is it the CISO? Who, are, who do you typically see being like the one funding the initiative and like the final decision maker? It really changes between three different roles. Head of developer platform, which is their chief job is to make developers more productive. So it's perfect up our alley. Sure. Yeah. Um, then there's DevOps, which a lot of times is the buyer. Um, and then there's the, uh, the security team. Yeah. And um, I would say the one thing about the security team that's quite interesting is like, they're so far from, removed from development that they just, um, they have like a, I found that a lot of times like a smaller surface area of knowledge of all the pain points that are going on. And yeah. so uh, a good example is I'm not going to name the name of the company, but I had a call yesterday with an enterprise and um, this, this is about to get super technical, but uh, I hope you guys bear with me. Everybody buckle up. Yeah. Yeah. Buckle <laughs> up. Um, basically he was, he was on along the lines of like, um, I don't think we think the industry should be using API keys. Like I should just, instead of having an API key to authenticate into Stripe, we should use mutual uh, TLS which is like a way of doing it through encryption. Um, and I was like, when you hear that, the first thing you're trying to do is like ground them back into reality and be like, well, that is a really nice concept. And I do agree that the industry should do this, but that's not the world we live in today. Twilio, Stripe, and everyone else uses an API key. And that's kind of like the world we live in. And there's nothing Doppler can do to change that or any other company besides Stripe do choosing to change that and Twilio yeah. one-off choosing. And so like, that's where his mind was. I was like, these are the biggest problems of the company. Uh, from a security side, it's like we don't have mutual TLS for authentication because he's used to doing that same thing for internal services. And he wasn't used to the difference between internal services and, and, and external services because internal services, you can control everything. External services, you can't, right? Stripe chooses how you authenticate and that's the game you play. Um, and so, and he wasn't even thinking about, well, how do my developers actually get these API keys? Are they sharing them over Slack or email? That's probably bad if they are, right? All these other questions that are probably even more important um, and so sometimes that's where the security buyer can be a little bit tricky. And so yeah. like the optimal case is to have the developer platform team 
actually be the champion. And then they loop in DevOps and security. Got it. Okay. And when you are like involved with, with security, is it usually pretty easy to paint the picture? Is it sort of self-evident that this is the more secure way to be managing secrets? Yeah, we, we, we give them a demo and it's usually pretty clear. The, yeah. We found, it's kind of interesting. We found that it's like usually one or two cases or for, for security. The first case is like, they're like, this is great. And we've just been trying to do the bare minimum and you're coming in and helping me do the bare minimum. Um, a good example of that is like some company had hard-coded secrets for a long time. And he's like, for the life of me, I've been just trying to get these secrets out of, out of code. Um, and he was very, very happy with that. And then there's the other case of the security team where they're like, in the clouds in the future. And they're just like, can you bring the future today? And they see like a, a light where they're like, oh my God, Doppler's miles ahead of everyone else. But then they're like, they expect us because we're miles ahead to be miles ahead in everything. Yeah. And we've really focused on just doing a couple key things very, very well done, i.e. building a management layer and an automation layer. And then they're talking about some like other stuff like mutual TLS for authentication. And we're like, that is amazing. We want to do that, but we can't do that today. Like we have to stay a little bit focused and we can't change the whole world in one go. Yeah. Cool. All right. And last question before we jump into the, the quick fire round. Um, sure. How, how do you kind of compare yourself to some of the bigger, I guess you could say like more established competitors in the space who are doing secrets? Uh, you didn't call it management, but you called it secret storage, I think a couple of minutes ago. Uh, so yeah, we so we consider ourselves a secrets uh, platform. Okay. And then there's secrets managers, which are actually storage. I think the whole naming is yeah. really complicated and actually kind of broken, to be honest. Like if I could go back yeah. in time, I would say AWS secrets manager is not a manager. It's a storage. There's no actual management. It's just yeah. you put in a, a value and they encrypt it and they store it for you. We are actually a manager, but because they have the manager word, we use platform because we kind of connect with all the different managers or destinations. Um, how we compete is, well, there really isn't a product that's trying to solve the use case we are. Um, so a lot of times it's not really like how people comparing or, or enterprise buyers or even self-serve customers comparing us to them. They're just trying to understand how it all works. Um, it's really like the biggest challenge we have is, is not competitors. It's getting people to understand how we are different. And, and that usually happens pretty quick, but they have to be open to it. Um, yeah. I find some developers are like, they're looking for the future and they're at every turn. That's why people like go to product hunt. And then there are people that are kind of like, I know how the world works. And this is, this is my uh, version of it and getting them to shift out of that is quite difficult. Um, and so the big thing is just getting them to, to see the difference that we have, um, from a true competitor standpoint, if, like we're looking at the numbers, it's actually ENV files. Um, so ENV files for anyone who's listening is like a plain text file that's, uh, uh, that holds all your secrets uh, for local development um, yeah. or for production in some cases. And uh, it's not encrypted and it's usually stored in that folder uh, or that directory that has your code. Um, but it's not checked into Git so, because you don't want it in version control. And there's a lot of things wrong with this. It's insecure, right? You have secrets on disk, unencrypted, big, big no-no. Now, uh, imagine that I make a change to this ENB file every other team member needs that change, right? And if they're making their changes too, it becomes like this gigantic mess, right? Like imagine uh, a world before Google Docs. I have a Word document, you have a Word document, 20 other people have a Word document. I make a change, you make a change, and they make a change. Now we're all sending it to each other over email trying to figure out who actually has the right document. And the yeah. answer is no one has the right document. We all have like a mix of each other's doc, uh, changes. And so having one um, central source of truth, kind of like Doppler helps make that easy because it's more like Google Docs, where it's like we have one document, everyone's editing it on it, editing on it, and we all have the right copy at the right time. Um, 
And so, yeah, EMV files are really scary. Um, and the, the usage is insane. Like if you just look at uh, the node package manager uh, NPM and you look at the .env package on there, it has like 19 million weekly downloads, meaning there's like 19 million, or let's just say that each package downloads it three times a day or something. There, there's quite a lot of downloads per week, or a lot of usage. And that's yeah. all on like this archaic format that is very insecure, that leads to all the breaches that you see on, on television or in the news. Um, and everyone's using them. We're just trying to get the world off of this really old archaic model and onto a new, uh, a new better world. And that doesn't mean using Doppler. It just means put your, uh, your secrets in a secure place. Cool. Awesome. Well, we don't have a, a ton of time left, so we're going to jump into the, uh, the rapid fire round, which I basically ask you a couple of quick questions and you share whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Sure. Let's cool. do it. All right. So first question, uh, what book are you currently reading? Ooh, great question. I am reading The Practice by Seth Good, uh, Gooden. Cool. All right. What is the uh, worst piece of security advice you've ever received? Use a .env file. <laughs> and um, if you could go back in time and give some advice to your 20-year-old self, uh, I know it probably wasn't that long ago, but what, what advice uh, would you give him? I would say instead of evaluating if you could build it, evaluate if people will use it. Um, I have I have lost so many years just by doing that, by not doing that. Love it. Well, Brian, uh, congrats on all the success and, and rooting for you guys going forward. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah.